podcast, what's good? Do you eat food? That is a very simple question I have for you. Do you eat food? Now, if that food happens to be gourmet stuff, like delicious olive oils or cookies or that kind of random shit, then you need to go to yummytex.com. Yummy, Y-U-M-M-Y, tex.com. Gourmet foods at ridiculous discounts, just like wine tex, but for olive oils, pastas, hot sauces, mustards, and other exotic candies and such, yummytex.com, the best place to buy gourmet food at ridiculously low prices. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. What up, podcast? For today's episode, Gary sits down for a recent talk here in New York with Brandon Smith. They spoke about self-esteem, accountability, and why it takes a high level of both to achieve what you want. So make sure to leave a review to let us know what you thought, and I hope you enjoy. You've always said you're you're a DNF student. Yes. Um, Just kind of coming up when you're perfectly parented. Yes. Uh, I want to start there because I think that's going to give a lot of context to everyone listening on on the value created. Self-esteem with accountability. Not super complicated. Mm-hmm. You know, just to have, you know, uh, self-esteem with accountability and no entitlement. That is, uh, that is the story of many immigrants with the right mom and dad. And that's what I was, you know, born in the Soviet Union, we came here, we lived in a studio apartment with eight family members in Queens and you know, that's the kind of family that's not necessarily gonna buy you everything you want. And so, I, um, I, what, what really stands out for me is the following. One, my mom made me feel like I was the best in the world, yet four times a year my mom punished me for two to three weeks for having a bad report card. So there was this kind of interesting juxtaposition that like losing wasn't the end of the world, yeah. but there was ramifications and actual, you know, things that, you know, there were consequences. Held you accountable. 100%. Why, why do you think it's so hard for high net worth parents to hold, like have that same level of accountability? Such a good fucking question. So I'm not sure if I can curse on this, you can be it. Be yourself. Um, <laughs> there's a lot there. One, I think a lot of high net worth uh, parents have um, a juxtaposition of a couple things. Being one, <laughs> I understand this. Um, there's a level of of ambition and guilt that is going on. So many high net worth families are either still in the ambition phase where both parents or one of the parents is still grinding so aggressively and hunting. Trying to keep getting to that next level. That they're not getting as much time with the kid or so other things. So that lends into guilt. Guilt can come also in the fact of the fact that they feel so blessed. You know, maybe they made a really good bet. Maybe they bought all of Dumbo or got into IPO, pre-IPO on Facebook, that they had such a mass amount of wealth that they almost feel a subconscious guilt of the success and the way they parent predicates that a little bit. And, and they focus on fake environments. I'm gonna send my kid to Africa to build a school. That will keep them in check. Yet, it's not because on day-to-day things, they're, they're not. And so... Things are slipping, right? It's like, oh, it's okay, it's okay. Keeping up with the Joneses. A lot of high net worth people are actually insecure. The insecurity was what got them there. And so when their kid is coming home and saying, Ricky's parents took a private jet to Aspen this weekend, they're literally trying to keep up with the Joneses. They don't have the humility to keep their kids in line. They, they don't like the feeling of going out to brunch in Malibu and all the other kids of their four friends family that are all high net worth too are wearing Yeezys and their kid isn't. So it's, it's actual parent insecurity 
Um, and then it's also a lot of parents that get there, grinded their ass off and actually resent their parents and their circumstance and don't want their kids to go through. You know, like I shoveled pig shit. One thing I never talk about is my parents moved to a, a, a farm area in Jersey when I was in eighth grade. So not only was I working in the liquor store for two bucks an hour, but my dad had pigs. And when those pigs shit up the sty on like Thursday nights after school, I, I cleaned pig shit. And like on, on some, probably on the reason I've never talked about it is I probably resent that. I'm like, not only was I working and getting punished, but I was fucking doing like manual labor too. So like, like there's a part of you that doesn't want your child to go through that. Now I know that that's what made me. Of course I'm not scared of anything. I fucking cleaned up pig shit. Right. So, you know. And, and all, that, <laughs> all that creates this environment where you're like softer on your kids. 100%. Not to mention like, those kids live in a fancier environment and they're crying crying and whining about not having this, not having that, Ricky doesn't have to do that. And honestly, parents, alpha parents often, and all parents lack patience and they're not willing to let their kid outcry their patience. Right. That like when they're, right? Like I mean you're right. laughing, you get this. Like it's just so annoying, you're I, like fine, here's I, the I fucking. Have, I have an eight month older for a child, you, it cries, you want to go, you want to pick her up immediately and I imagine that goes on forever, wait don't she, get hurt. Wait till she talks. Right. She's like, I want the ice cream, I want the ice cream, and you know you don't want to give it to him, and like fucking 29 minutes later, you're like, here's the ice cream. Real life, real life. But the crazy part that you're talking, because you, you talk about this a lot, and, and uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people want to hear this, because I get in this conversation where these, you know, you know, kind of alpha, like, type A people that we work with all the time, they think about like, hey, how, how, how can I raise my kids better? Am I doing everything right? Everyone has that insecurity. Um, but so you do all these things for your kids, you raise them in a better environment than you were raised in, you're giving them more things, and then you see all these DMs from these kids and they actually resent it when they're 18 years old. It, it, would, it would make the majority of people that are listening right now that are high net worth and are paying for kids stuff if they're 14 to 25, it would make them shiver at their core to know what their kids actually think of them. As a matter of fact, here's an incredible thing. This was a very emotional moment for me yesterday. I was at the gym yesterday at 8.30 p.m. Um, you know, because I was in Atlanta in the morning, couldn't do my normal workout. It, you know, it's President's Day weekend, so nobody was in, you know, it was 8.30 p.m. in the gym right here at Equinox across my office. And not a lot of people there, this big dude, it was really funny, talk about admiration on both sides. This huge bulky guy, big butt, big thighs. He's like throwing up like 125s on like arms. I'm just like, Jesus. <laughs> anyway, sure enough, I'm leaving. Uh, and he grabs me, he's like, hey, big fan, you know, you know, just wanted to ask you, you know, do you have any business, uh, any job opportunities? And before I could say anything, he goes, you know, I don't wanna lie to you, like, and he looks 27 to me, which means he's 24 to 32. He says to me, you know, my, I'm, I, I'm, I'm in bodybuilding and fitness. You know, I've competed. I'm from Spain. My, and I don't want to lie to you. Like, my parents have been taking care of me. And I don't want to do that anymore. And when I tell you my heart, yeah, like, yeah, like, it meant so much to me. Like, he gets it. Not only does he get it, because he was a fan and knew my stuff, yeah. that I am saying and talking about things that very few people are talking about because I'm reading these comments and I'm making observations that I don't think are obvious. And, and, and then I've got this cool moment to a lot of these kids, so what I'm saying seems right to them because they think I'm cool. 
So they're actually listening. Correct. It's not like I'm talking down to them. They're aspiring up to my words. It matter like that that man's life is gonna be better that he realizes and he was like looking for like a humble job. And it's really hard for that kid when your parents are paying for you. Nonetheless, what to your question, these kids resent their parents and believe that they can't do anything. They are 100% zoo animals. You go take the biggest tiger in the, in the zoo of any zoo in America right now and you put her or him in the wild, they're dead in a minute. And that's the children we're raising. We're taking care of them. This is why I keep telling hood kids, like you've got the advantage. You think it's the machine is suppressing you, but the internet flipped it. Because the internet doesn't know our backgrounds. It just like if you make music, if you make content, if you make t-shirts, like they don't know who, if you're good, there's nobody stopping you. The system used to be against you, now it's like reverse. Now college, the parents, dad's friend has a job waiting for the kid, cool. But like as somebody who's been on the other side of that, that kid's going nowhere in that organization. The kid knows it. The biggest thing that parents are delusional to is kids know. They know they're in the zoo. They know they're in the zoo. And they're mad at the people that built the zoo. And the person that built the zoo is their parents. It's intense shit. I'm telling you right now, if you're listening right now and you're a high net worth parent and you're paying for your child, especially, to me, it is inconceivable. It is a death wish to pay for your kids post 22. Completely a death blow. For them. For them. Um, They must stand on their own two feet. None of this well, my kid needs a good car. I don't want them to break down on the highway bullshit. None of this, my daughter needs to live in a doorman building. I don't want her to get sexually abused bullshit. These are just excuses to do what you want, which is to show the perception that your child's succeeding because when you go to the country club or have dinner with your first cousin or your nephews or your boss's kid, you want to say, oh, what's up with Johnny? Oh, he's got a great job. He's on the Upper East Side. Johnny's not doing shit. You're paying for Johnny. Johnny's still fucking doing dog shit. And when you're paying for him, guess what Johnny's doing with the horse shit salary he's making? He's buying dumb shit. Dumb clothes, dumb trips, buying gifts for his girlfriend that he, to like, cause he's insecure if she likes him, which fucks up that relationship. At the worst extreme, buying fucking Coke. Like bad, bad, bad shit. Johnny. Versus Johnny working at fucking TJ Maxx on his own two feet in a studio apartment in the suburbs with three of his friends, a real man. And no time to waste your time with that bad stuff. Oh, that makes sense. Well, I want to take a step back a little bit. That is, I, I, it's such a great discussion and we'll talk about why you get into those subjects. But, so you went DNF student, you want your dad come up from working at a liquor store to owning his own liquor store. Why go to Mount Ida College? Because my mom wouldn't let me not not go to school. So you had to finish. Yeah, she still had college on a pedestal. And so she, in February of my senior year, she's like, what's up with college? And I was like, what do you mean, what's up with college? Like, (laughs) mom, I've gotten D's and F's, I haven't taken the SATs, you're supposed to get into school in in sophomore year. Like, this is a wrap. She, She scared the shit out of me and said, you're going to college and don't make it a community college. Couple days or weeks later, I get a postcard in the mail from Mount Ida College. If that said Mount Ida Community College, I wouldn't have done anything with it. Right. 
But because it said Mount Ida College, which in hindsight makes community colleges around this country look like Harvard, um, I filled out the postcard, sent it in. My guidance counselor called me three to six weeks later in shock because I never met her in my four years of high school and said, you're going to college? And I literally said, Mount Ida replied. Um, (laughs) And she said, yes. She made some sort of snarky joke. Like, I was like, I think I said something like, I got into Mount Ida. She's like, this stapler would get into Mount Ida. And, uh, and I was on my way. Did you end up graduating? Yes, but they just pushed me through, just like high school. Like, Did you get anything out of it, academically uh, or relationship-wise? Relationship, I mean, are you kidding me? The reason I, the, the graduate course I got on urban culture, 90% of my school was African-American and Latino. I, I, this weekend, I played spades with Chris Paul and Chris Paul's mother. In, a, in, in Dwayne Wade's spades tournament at the NBA All-Star and the look on their face when they knew I wasn't there to play was fun for me and it, it was Mount Ida College. My, my deep relationships in hip hop culture is Mount Ida College. My unbelievable 1990s Madden and 2K and video game culture is, is, is Mount Ida College. My deep empathy of sitting in cars, going to the mall and getting pulled over every third time is why my relationship with deep racism in America is Mount Ida College. Um, my sneaker uh, culture right. is Mount Ida College. It, it, all those things just keep you relevant today, right? Like that's- and by the way, there was no obviousness to that in 1994, five, six, seven, eight. Um, my relationships with Miz and Iraq and Tokyo Joe and Glenn and LA and Moose, that I knew was my ROI, my crew. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, in 2005, six, seven, when I was in Silicon Valley, I was like, oh fuck, this is why I should have went to Brown or Yale or Harvard. My roommate would have started fucking Uber. Now, in 2020, I'm like, fuck, thank God I went to Mount Ida College. Podcast, what's good? Uh, I wanna make sure you're signed up for the weekly newsletter. We revamped it. Uh, the response has been overwhelming. Um, in the history of the newsletter, maybe seven or eight years. I think we've had two or three significant changes, but there's been nothing like this. The recap nature, uh, the fact that it only comes out once a week, we, we visually loaded it up in a UI UX that makes it easily to consume while having a ton of information. There may be no better way to keep up with opportunities uh, and information that you're probably looking for than signing up for the newsletter. Go to GaryVaynerchuk.com. Uh, my website, GaryVaynerchuk.com, and sign up for the email newsletter. It's at the top or the side, or you'll find it. It's, it's there. Uh, sign up for the uh, Weekly V uh, newsletter, and, uh, and I hope you enjoy it. And now to the podcast. Can you, tell, can you talk a little bit about, you built, you built the, one of the largest uh, online wine stores in the country. Yes. Out of the, you know, basically your dad's <laughs> yes. store, right? Um, how did you go from Mount Ida College to working at your dad's liquor store to, you know, deciding to, you know, put the store online to Silicon Valley and your opportunity to invest in Twitter, Facebook, Uber, et cetera. In 1994, I saw the internet. Um, I was completely mesmerized by its potential within minutes. Got very serious about eBay. Uh, started reading a little bit about it. And basically in late 94, I realized I'm gonna launch a website for my dad's store 
because I want to change shoppers discount liquors to something that's more wine oriented. I was thinking I was going to build a, either a franchisee or a Toys R Us like business. I'm going to have 100 stores around the country. I'm going to be the dominant player. There was no, there was no doubt in my mind what ended up happening was going to happen. It's actually why I have delusional or maybe not belief that I'm going to own the New York Jets. What I knew was gonna happen in the wine business happened. What I knew was gonna happen in the Silicon Valley like ecosystem happened, which made no sense. I owned a liquor store at the time. What I knew about was gonna happen in the agency landscape has happened or is on its way to happening. There was no sense of that. I was a Silicon Valley wine guy going in. What I know is that I understand the end consumer better than anybody that walks this earth. I really believe that. Or I'm tied with the other Avengers and because of that, I'm always dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, a, it's like a boxer with a big, Deontay Wilder, who's fighting this Saturday. Like he could lose all 11 and a half rounds this Saturday in his rematch with Fury and one land hit? one right hook. And he said something amazing that, he said, I, don't, I, I wanna get the quote kind of right. He basically said, my opponent can be perfect, has to be perfect, for all 36 minutes, I have to be perfect for like three seconds. And that's how I feel about me. And, um, and so what happened was I knew I had to do a website. I, I looked at the internet. I launched a website in 1996, not really until May of 98 because the site lived but I was still at school. In the summers it would pop a little bit. Then i go back to school. Nobody knew what to do with it in the liquor store. But it was that's so were like like that time frame so were I remember just getting a computer in like ninety five when I was in high school. Yeah, and that was early for that. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I launched winelibrary.com, a lot of people most of the country not most of the country, but a, a significant amount of the country was not online yet. Do you get a kick out of this like really quick story in ninth grade biology class it was like an AP class and I was yep. did well in high school. Yep. Everyone was upperclassmen except for me and my buddy and the teacher was like, If you type your homework, you get extra credit just got this computer. So I typed the homework and I was like, wow, you could actually change fonts and colors and all these things. And so I eventually got like 25 of the kids in the class to pay me. To type it out. I just typed it once and I just had to change it and print it out. You know me so well, that's (laughs) such a good hustle. I'm impressed. That went on for a while until one time I got two questions wrong on like the chapter review. And everybody else did. (laughs) Take off the uh, extra credit. So, Email and Google, I would argue, were the two real catalysts. Google AdWords, I just understood fast. And then email marketing. 90% open rates, unheard of numbers. Um, and built that business from a three to $60 million business from a 10% gross profit to a 27% gross profit business. And, you know, the answer is talent. You know, I, I, you know, and please, if you don't know who I am and you're listening through the cursing or the energy, this is not bravado speaking, this is just, you know, there's so many things I suck at, you know, but, but I do think that I'm a Hall of Fame-like potential entrepreneur. And what that means is when you're a Hall of Fame-like potential anything, your rookie year looks special. Kobe and LeBron were good their rookie year. I was good my rookie year. You know, the business went from three to $10 million with no capital infusion in the first year that I ran it. Not complicated, that's hard. Was that on the back of the online sales? Was on the back of just changing your direct mail marketing? Was Direct mail, online, changing out managers, working 15 hours a day, seven days a week for a straight year. Uh, in it, in it. So, so And then YouTube came out, I started a wine show. YouTube sells for $1.7 billion. 
to Google, I freak out because that seemed like seven trillion dollars. You remember that headline? Like, so for your listeners, like for the youngsters in this room or listening, you don't understand. $1.7 billion in 2007 was like, it, you'd have to wake up this morning and hear TikTok sold for one trillion and you'd be like, oh my God, right? That That's, was that was, I mean, I'm getting goose, like that was the level. 1.7 billion for something that was a year and change old was like, forget it. Don't forget, Instagram sold five years later, I think, for one billion and everybody freaked. This was one seven, five years earlier on huge economic growth. So it was like, it stopped me. Because I was right again. I was right about email. I was right about e-commerce. I was right about Google AdWords. I knew blogging was happening. I couldn't write, so I didn't do it. But I was right again, and this time, I was the right age. I was a little bit older. I was like, wait a minute. I had some shekels saved up. I had some shekels, not a lot, a couple hundred thousand in savings, but it was more, I was mature. I wasn't as in a cocoon or delusional. I was like, I am a talent. Like I saw YouTube for one second and said this is the future and that's why I did it. In the articles, so I read everything about the sale and in some of those articles they talk about angel investors. Yeah. And I'm like what is that? And I Googled it and I was like I'm gonna do that. The next time I feel it, I'm gonna write a check. So the next time I felt it was Twitter. Did you call those guys? I went to South by Southwest and I looked for those guys and I found the CTO, Blaine Cook, and serendipitous to my life, Blaine was disgruntled and was quitting and selling all his shares and that's how I bought Twitter. Really? Really. And in one of my proudest moments, I spent 98% of my energy with him trying to convince him not to sell it. Even though I knew it was going to work for me. Because I knew he was going to lose and he did. So, so you bought his shares, that's how you got it. Was that the first like, kind of tech Silicon Valley relationship? Yes. Wow. And from there, like... From the there, team. I made a video of why I like Twitter, why I invested in it, and why Facebook should be worried about it, which went viral at Facebook, led to me speaking there, led to me meeting Zucks, led to us doing dinner and hanging out a bunch, which led to his sister calling me one night when I was in Miami in the cab, I'll never forget it, and saying, hey, our parents want to sell a bunch of Facebook stock we want you in the family, and I said, yes, ma'am. And then I wrote a huge check into that for me at the time, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I feel, I, I listen to a lot of your content, yes. a lot of podcast stuff, I, you know, I feel you don't talk a lot about like this, and, and it's such, I mean, maybe kind of the saying is your net worth is your network, but how you went from like Jersey kid, like working at a wine store to having these high level relationships and maintain them over time. I mean, whether it's now, it's, you know, Christian at Morgan Chase, yeah. and, you know, back to Zucks and everyone in between. You know, it's funny, right? And I appreciate your tone on this question and I see where you're going, so I'm gonna go there. Something I've been spending a lot of time with is why don't I talk about being smart? Like, I don't play up the things that society would respect the most. Uh, Resi. I'm the founder and co-inventor of Resi with Ben Leventhal. It sells for hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars to Amex earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Not a peep. Yeah, you never mentioned that. A, an accomplishment that puts everybody, everybody in tech's pedestal is on the ability to invent and sell a business for hundreds of millions of dollars. I've done it, but here's what's so amazing. This is the enigma that I am. 
so many people think I'm the biggest self-promoter, yet I'm promoting things that help other people. Me telling people, maybe I could talk about the story of how I figured out Resi, how we operated it. Right. It's also not fully my story. Ben Leventhal, right. Mike Montero, Matt Higgins, they deserve so much. Correct, so. correct. But like, it's funny, like yesterday I had this high level meeting and my friend texted me and he's like, you blew that person away. I don't talk about being smart because I haven't figured out how that brings value to other people. Do you also like to stay under the radar and be a surprise? Yeah, yeah, I, I like underdog status. I'm way more interested in showing you that I'm garage sailing than I am navigating. I mean, I mean, VaynerMedia, VaynerX doesn't sell for less than one billion dollars right now. Nobody has a sense of that. Ninety percent of my audience doesn't even know I run this company. <laughs> That's true, they just think you're an internet personality. A hundred percent. Almost everybody says he's a motivational speaker and a social media superstar. What I am is an operating CEO, aka COO and CEO of a thousand person company that's the fastest growing net revenue, gross revenue agency in the history of the sport. And before that, an accomplished angel investor in a significant way, and, and before that built. One of, one of the more difficult things to do in life, which is to build something at a small base to a large base in no time with no capital. With no capital. But I, but I, think, you, I think you'll resonate with a lot of people listening to this because a lot of those people started out, they're operators, they're, they're buying deals start to finish. And what, the next level what, what a lot of people who are listening here are that are more accomplished than me at is understanding financial arbitrage, tax law, and the current state of bank and money opportunities. What I do is not as smart and as that. My smarts is a little different. I am an unbelievably accomplished brand marketer that has deployed that against the wine store that has deployed that against me, the human being, that has deployed that when we come up with baby nut for planters during Super Bowl. I'm, I'm doing something, I would be an incredible real estate developer because I would create a brand and a value prop that isn't just arbitrage of you know, mortgage versus you know, construction mortgage next move. I would create some sort of innovation and then build brand, which would allow me in a renting environment, for example, in a lower income area, instead of charging 900 to 1200, I'd be 1200 to 1500 on an idea, which would compound the arbitrage that everybody who's listening plays on in residential and commercial. And that's what I'm great at. If I ever got into this business, that's what I would do. Well, let me ask you a question. The you know, I'm watching a friend of mine build a brand new hotel brand called Proper Hotels. Love it. Um, I'm wondering, and I would love your thoughts on this. There's no, if you live in New York City and you go to Equinox Gym and you move to LA, guess what gym you're gonna join? Equinox. If you live in, you know, Nash apartment building, you move to LA and you're just looking for a new apartment building. Why, had, why haven't any of these, even large scale developers related to Blackstones of the World really created brand behind think re- I think Related has done a little bit more. I mean look, Trump did it, right? I mean he wasn't as good of an operator but he built the brand. Right. Um, because most people aren't good at it. It was like high end resi though. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, 
and I'm sure people have done regional brands, right? I'm sure everybody's listening right now and saying, no, Smith did it, because they see all the Smith signs. But to your point, like the reason I, if I stay healthy and, and all things go well, the reason I get the credit I get in 25 years, 50 years, is because it's super hard. It's a lot easier to be a financial arbitrage operator than it is to be a brand arbitrage operator. It's why brands are worth the most. This swoosh on my sneaker is right now, in a lot of people's mind, worth $70 billion. That's hard. And the shoes worth 30 bucks. It's hard. It's why so many people are giving me attention right now on personal brand. Like very smart, very hardworking, very accomplished people both in the trenches that are eating dirt and have the humility to work or high net worth and feel like I should be able to do this are incapable of building personal brand not because I'm charismatic or smart because the strategy behind building awareness is impossibly difficult. It's hard. Well, well over the, you know, we have about five, yeah. ten minutes left. I want to get into the little tactics but what do you, what, what does Vayner do for these, these big clients? Because I think a lot of, you know, we talked about it earlier, you know, we're, we're, I'm, I'm paying, like, the idea of paying a retainer in real estate seems like insane. Most people won't go out to a media company, a marketing company, a PR company, and write a check for 10, 20, 50, 100 grand. Well, that's why nobody has a brand. But what do you do, what do you get for that money? Uh, like, what, making that? pictures, videos, and written words, and making stuff, mm-hmm. and then spending the money to make people see it. Production and creative, which comes from strategy and the media deployment to make people see it. So I read that article, Creative Live. Um, don't know really anything about the agency business. Don't know why all these guys are mad at you. <laughs> you can talk a little bit about that. But um, but creatives actually obviously creating the content, yes. stories, all that storytelling aspect of it. And then the media is how you deploy it. Yes. Do it blew my mind. It seemed to re- the artist seemed to reference that some companies do one and not the other. No, no, all companies do one or the other. Don't you have to? Yes. Connect them. Yes. To know what you're doing. Yes. It seems obvious. Yep. Right. Everything's obvious. Like if you can't, I mean, you just talked about you know hearing from all these kids on the DMs. That's so much qualitative data. And I, I've worked in campaign politics before, so I've talked to 25,000 individual voters in like six states. Um, I work for the 49ers too, I got their stadium approved. Um, but on the ground, what you hear is direct, thousands of times is very different from what you see in a, in a poll or some data that you get. Because those are broken metrics. Nielsen ratings, polls, they're broken. They don't work. So, but everybody's made them the currency because nobody wants to do the non-scalable work. So none of these big legacy agencies have combined the two creative and media yet? No, no, what they did was they separated them in the 90s because now they don't have to be accountable. Accountable to what? Results. Now when you're Dunkin' Donuts, which I'm drinking right now, which is my favorite coffee, sorry Starbucks. when they have a media agency and they have a creative agency and they're separate companies, when they sit down, you and the other person, and you're like, guys, it's not working. Our sales are down 3%. You're like, well, it's the creative. And she's like, no, it's the media. And when all big six companies have the same model, you don't have an alternative. What are you gonna do? Because the ads made you feel good as a buyer. Yeah, I really like that, I signed off on it. I'm getting this information on 
why this or this is or isn't working. But good news, that's no different than CBS, ABC, and NBC, Fox, they're all the same. And then slowly but surely, here comes Netflix. That's what I am, I'm Netflix. Yeah. We're just gonna win the whole thing because we're right, not because of any other thing. And because we're not trying to maximize our short-term EBITDA at the expense of our clients, which is what those agencies are doing. The truth always wins in the end. Is it, with brand being one of the hardest things to do, isn't it one of the easiest things ever to start at because of the internet? Because 100%, of the yes. It's, yep. it's free. The, the, when platforms are at scale and their organic reach is enormously high, TikTok and LinkedIn, it's free. I mean, I did my own. To push, I, yeah, to push out paid on Instagram right now or Facebook. Really costs cool. money, really but under, underpriced money. So if you're, if you're somebody who's listening right now and you do direct mail or local television or local radio, because that's what you've always done because you do do a little bit of branding, Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn are better. But if you've never run it, or if you've run it, the biggest issue for everybody who's listening is they've run $5,000 of Facebook ads, it didn't work, and they decided Facebook doesn't work. That's like me saying that a basketball doesn't work because I'm not a professional basketball player. Because they weren't good at the creative because they're just posting. Or the media. Flyers. Or or the strategy, right? So like, Gary, social media doesn't work. Yes, it does. I and many other are building true empires on it. LeBron, Kawhi. Basketball doesn't work. Yeah, it does. I'm building an empire on it. I'm like, oh right, got it. I'm not good at basketball. And what most people hear is they outsourced it to a 24 year old that worked in the office who uses social for dating, not for selling. Yeah, but what I find it hard, I have invested, I've, I've done a little angel in like, this company called Strong Coffee Company. I own, I'm an investor in a bar in Detroit, watching them do social media ads, which has been unbelievably powerful because it's super local, yep. it's influencer-based, um, and, and you watch the revenue tick up when it's done right. But the hardest thing to do is, if you, you know, when you invest in these companies, what you realize is everyone comes and starts calling because they want to help you, but they really don't want to help you. They want to sell you some, some sort of service. Of course. And it's hard to tell who's good or who's bad. Like, I'm the Correct. best at Facebook marketing. What does that mean? Well, I do it. Ready for this? It's why I tell every owner, until you know how this stuff, you'll be vulnerable because it's the same way of not knowing how to balance your checkbook. There's plenty of accountants that will rip you off. Right. Not complicated. Um, how, do you, how do you be an expert enough to know if the person you're hiring, the company you're hiring, the marketing guy you're hiring is worth his... By spending the 100 hours to learn it yourself. It's just going through Google. Doing it. And, and actually doing it yourself. Yes. I will recommend every person who's listening to spend 100 hours making pictures and videos and written words and spending the money on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, Snapchat because I believe the ability to understand this now is the number one most important skill set in business. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you a, a direct example with this, this blog called Five Stat Monday which I kind of just stole from Tim Ferriss. Um, <laughs> but I just started writing a blog because I used to read a ton of articles and I was like, I feel like I'm wasting my time just reading these articles. How can I like, I just kind of repackage it, convey what I think yeah. the most important thing is everything. Be, be a DJ. Right. You're a DJ. You, right. might be re- you might be reading songwriters, but you're more marshmallow than you are Shakira. And I can't tell, I mean, it's, it's qualitative, but every time you go to these conferences, you meet with people, it's like, oh, I love, I, I love what you write. The end. I, I forward it to the entire office. That's called brand. Right. So so now I've been starting to play with running 
targeted LinkedIn ads to multifamily companies, at vice president, the acquisition guy. You've been, you've been listening to a lot right. of my content. Yeah. And? Um, it's just starting, so Good. we'll see. We'll but, see. But it's how you, I mean, look, even, even major. By the way, that's really gonna work, but this goes back to the basketball. It's all, it's all gonna come down to how much value you brought, but it will work. And, and within the whole thing. And let me give you the comp. It's almost like this podcast. I've got the listeners now, I'm the guest. They're listening. But the variable of do they continue with me or not is completely predicated on what I put down here. So for example, a 13% of the audience is completely checked out because within the first 10 minutes, I cursed enough and they're uncomfortable with that and I respect that. I don't judge that. Or they're soft west coast and it's, it's just, it's accept, it's, yeah, right. it's, which is acceptable to me. That's appropriate. I'm not gonna conform and vanilla down my truth. I wanna be, I wanna be in depth with like a thousand people and not with and and, and for me, I just wanna be free. And for me, I just want it to be easy. It would be impossible for the amount of content I put out and the interviews I do for me to have to think right now. Yeah, and look, my, my day job is so much asking, so much client services that this should be, you know, I've always kept it, there's no asking there whatsoever. Smart. Now the question is, when you put out that post, I think, you, like for me, if I'm doing that, I go to the depths of my knowledge, and like the second a new tax law passes, or something happens, deep education, so that you can then say in that post to that VP, did you know? that if you, I'm making shit up now, uh, if you set up a development within a one mile radius of your prior development, there's an extra kicker. All of us, I mean, Opportunity Zone, if you put out the most content within the 72 hours after Opportunity Zones were announced, you could be three extra business right now. But then run those paid ads. Yes. Because they were Because organic could have came to me and I'd be like, I don't, I've never invested in real estate in my entire life. But if you put out sports card content right now, I'd read every second of it. <laughs> By the way, everybody who is listening to this, sports cards are gonna return more than your real estate, and I'm not kidding. It's scary what's going on. Quick comp, I was making videos on the internet left and right, as you know, because you follow me, about buying LeBron rookies in April. They were $1,000, they're now 4000 If they win the title this year, it's gonna be 10000 you know, you gave me a reason to keep holding on to those baseball cards in the boxes in the very, very back of the sterile storage, but the, my wife heard your comment about it was it was the era when they just produced- Junk wax. It's just junk wax. All garbage. She just texted me junk wax. I love like, her. What did you do? Like, I love her. It absolutely killed me. Um, all right, so only a couple minutes left. Yep. Um, I, look, I definitely appreciate the time, the opportunity of being here. Um, I think we covered just about everything I wanted to, so. Um, let me, uh, le- let me leave with more value then. Yeah. Parting shot for everybody who's listening. Look, please hear the message, whether the style was a little too hyper or aggressive or not, whether you loved it and you even got caught up in loving it so much and not hearing, please hear what I'm talking about. In the B2B world especially, there's a huge opportunity. When you're B2B, you almost completely dismiss social media, almost completely. And the reality is I will tell you, and we have GE and we do work with SAP and we have Chase, like I'm telling you right now, B2B is the biggest opportunity because LinkedIn has become more Facebook than Facebook in this last couple of years and the opportunity is extraordinary. Please become a practitioner. Please learn this because I want the email to be very honest in nine months saying, hey, I heard you on this podcast. I wasn't even considering this stuff 
and now we just landed our biggest family office deal in the history of our company because of a single video I made about the opportunity in the outskirts of Chicago. That, that's absolutely, and that's already happening and it's just starting to creep into, I think, everyone's awareness. You guys will be, they'll post, I close this deal in Denver. I didn't know you bought deals in Denver. I have a deal for you, would you take a look at it? I mean, it just and, and that's a very low value piece of content. Right. Look at, that's like posting your vacation or your new sneakers. What about if it was posted, and this is where it takes humility, most people think if they know something, they have to hoard it because if they tell people, people are gonna come in and raise the price. To me, if you know your lane and you know that you've only got the capital anyway to buy seven pieces of property, you buy that and by the time you buy the sixth one, you start talking about, hey, I see an opportunity in Denver. You can't take advantage of it because you don't have the capital. But you sharing karma, somebody comes in, they're like, wait a minute, Dustin's smart. Now all of a sudden they become your backer you think you need to sit on information. I give away my best secrets for free, daily. There are agencies that literally consume my content to change their strategy that compete with me. I think that's a good thing, not a bad thing, and, th- and I'm not gonna expand on that because here's what I'm gonna say. When you understand that, I'm gonna leave you to try to figure that out, that's when things get big. As we end today's podcast, I wanna give a huge shout out to the people, you know, it's so funny, people that leave reviews and written reviews of this podcast on Apple, Spotify, and all the other platforms just mean the world to me. You've taken an extra 13 to 95 seconds to show love and also give context to people of why this is a worthwhile podcast. So I appreciate that so much. And even more fun, because uh, I think we all love a little cosign or a shout out or a little awareness. Uh, I'm gonna have the team give a couple of shout outs uh, daily on uh, our favorite reviews. So Dean, take it away. Which were our favorites this week? Thanks, Gary. Today's reviews, so thankful for Gary V and Gary for President, written in by Dr. Daniel K and Heather Parody say. He gets it like no one else. Just keep coming, brother. Wish I had met him 20 years ago. And secondly, Gary, you are my best friend. You just don't know it yet. One day you'll figure it out. Thank you both so much for writing in, and remember, keep leaving reviews, because yours could be next.